This sermon is titled Content for the Faith Once Delivered to the Saints. Be enriched as you listen. This morning, I want to just uh, share something with us that is coming primarily from a pastoral perspective. That, I was, that is, I'm speaking to you or we're bringing this message to us more from this is, you know, this is our heart as pastors, as we lead the congregation, serve in the church, is coming from that perspective. But anything that we as pastors want to do, we can't do it by ourselves. We need the congregation to be a part of it. We need the whole church community to journey with us in and along the same lines. So, it's also coming from that perspective that, that we should all have the same mind. We should all move in the same direction and have the same perspective on some of these things. So uh, we want all of us to be connected, to be aligned, and to be moving in the same direction. And in the, uh, I'm bringing this message um, for our, us as a church community, but also with much concern for the body of Christ Worldwide or globally, uh, as a pastor, I don't. I'm not just focused on looking at you know what's happening at APC. I spend a lot of time just looking at what's happening in the church globally, worldwide, and um, and to whatever extent that we can influence the church worldwide, we want to do that uh, just based on what God has given us and the access we have globally. So it's also coming from that perspective for the church worldwide. Where is the church today? And what are some things that we really are concerned about concerning the body of Christ? So it's coming from that perspective, but understand that ultimately it comes down to each one of us. Each one of us have to be a part of this journey and must understand these things and be involved in doing uh, these things, which we will talk about. The title of the sermon is actually a very long title. It's called Contend for the Faith, Once Delivered to the Saints. So if you don't like this long title, you can chop it and just say Contend for the Faith. That's fine. But it's taken out of a scripture which we will be reading in a few moments from now. Contend for the Faith that was once delivered to the saints. That means... We've got to earnestly contend, strive, fight for the authentic, original, pure faith that was given to the saints, which we have to transmit generation on to generation. So contend for that. We don't want a faith that's compromised. We don't want a faith that's contaminated. We don't want a faith that is corrupted with all kinds of other things. No, we want to contend for that original, authentic faith that was delivered to the saints. Are you with me? So, now let's begin by reading a passage from Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul is addressing uh, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Um, this was towards the end of his third missionary journey. He was on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, he comes uh, to Troas, which is not too far from Ephesians. He calls for the leaders from the Ephesians. They come and meet him. And he understands that he's, going, he's not going to see these leaders again. This is his final meeting with them. 
And so these words that he is speaking to them in Acts 20 are very important. They are full of concern for the church. And so he's addressing these leaders. What does he tell them? We're just picking up a portion of his message or his exhortation to these leaders. Verse 26, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves." Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what is Paul telling them? He says, first of all, he says, look, I've done my best. I'm just paraphrasing this. I've done my best. I have given it all. And I have shared the whole counsel of God. I didn't preach just one piece of the message. I just didn't preach one, you know, one little thing. I brought to you the full counsel. That's so important. And that's a pastoral, that's something that's on our hearts as pastors, that we must bring the full counsel of God to the church. It means establish God's people in the entirety of what the scriptures are teaching us, the whole counsel of God. So he says, I brought to you the whole counsel of God. But then he says this. He says, you know, after I leave, I know. And so I need to warn you that there will be savage wolves. That's a strong word. Savage wolves will come amongst you. In fact, they will rise up from within the church. So what is he talking about wolves? He's talking about people. Some of people who would come, who would draw people away from the faith, will draw people to follow them, their agendas, rather than being true to the faith. He says, that's going to happen. So what must you do? He tells the leaders. So number one, he says, watch over yourselves. So as leaders, we have to watch over ourselves. I have to be careful. Us as pastors, we have to watch over ourselves. If we get swayed by these savage wolves or these people who have come to, you know, contaminate the faith, and we get drawn by them, then we're going to draw everybody else behind us with us. So as leaders, number one, watch over yourselves. Watch over your own life as a leader. Watch over yourselves. And over the flock of God. This is God's sheep. These are God's people. And look at the seriousness with which he says. He says, God has purchased them with his own blood. I mean, he's given his life for these people. So take that very seriously. The people whom the Holy Spirit has given you spiritual stewardship over. You are overseeing them. You're watching over them in some way. You're a spiritual guardian. You're watching over their lives. So he says, watch over yourself and over the people because God has given his life for these people. Don't take it lightly. Watch over yourself and over the flock whom he has purchased with his own blood. 
And how, what is the antidote? How do you preserve yourself from these savage wolves, these people who come to draw uh, 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 people away from that pure faith? What do you do? He says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. So stay true to God. Stay true to his word. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. That's it. Just stay true to it. It'll protect you. It'll preserve you from these people who are coming to draw. Take people away from the purity of the faith. And you can find this repeated in the episodes over and over again. The Apostle Paul is, is mentioning and he's sharing this concern. And I'll just point us to one other passage. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 13 to 15. He says, you know, what's the reason why God has placed the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the teachers in the church? Why has he placed these ministries for this reason? He says that we should all come, verse 13, Ephesians 4, 13 to 15. We should all come to the unity of the faith, not the division. Faith shouldn't divide us, faith should unify us. To the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, knowing Jesus Christ is the number one priority. To the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man, to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Three things he's saying. Why? What should the ministers be doing? They should be bringing us to the unity of the faith. They should be helping us know Jesus more and help us grow and become more like Jesus. That's why he's given. He's placed these ministers in the church. And then he continues, verse 14, So that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head. So he's saying, look, God has placed these fivefold ministries in the church to strengthen the body, to bring us to the unity of the faith, to knowing Jesus and to growing in Jesus, <coughs> and to protect us from the cunning trickery of people who will try to sway us here and there. So don't be like children tossed to and fro. No. God has stayed true to the faith. That's why He's placed these ministers in the church, to guard the people establish them. And we focus on one thing, that in all things we grow up to be like Jesus. Verse 14, 15. That in all things we grow up to be like Jesus. That's the focus. Don't be tossed by these things that people say. So what I want us to do now is we want to spend our time in the epistle of Jude. So if you can go to the epistle of Jude. If you don't know where it is, I'll give you a clue. It's just before Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. So Jude is that one little epistle, small little epistle, right before Revelation. Now Jude was a half-brother of Jesus, like James. So Jesus, after he was born by the power of the Holy Spirit, Joseph and Mary had children. James was one of them. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he wrote the epistle of James. They had other brothers and sisters, and there was one whose name was Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, but another Judas. And this Judas was a half-brother of Jesus. He wrote this epistle, which we call Jude. Now, people didn't want us to confuse Jew, this Judas with the other Judas, so they just shortened his name and called it Jude. So that's why this epistle is called Jude, 
Actually, his name was Judas. So this is the epistle of Jude. One epistle, short one. And we want to look at what he communicates to us in this epistle. He's writing to all believers. This was written about 30 years after the birth of the church. It's around AD 63 or early part of the AD 60s. So it's about 30 years after the birth of the church. And here's what Jude writes. If you will follow with me, please. We'll read the entire epistle, starting with verse 1. Jude, a born servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So he's writing to all believers. Everyone, you believe in Jesus, you've been called, you've been sanctified, you've been preserved in Christ. Uh, mercy, peace, and grace to you. I'm writing to you. And verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So today's sermon title is taken from this verse. So what is Jude saying? He's saying, brothers, I wanted to write to you about our salvation. I want to write to you about how, you know, wonderful things about our salvation. But... I found it necessary. I mean, there's something that was just pressing on my heart, compelling me to write something else. I wanted to, I found it necessary to write to you and exhort you or encourage you to do this. Contend for the faith. Okay, guys, don't look at the camera, people. I'm pastor is here. <laughs> I'm seeing people looking at the cameras. Okay. Contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So it says, and I'm just explaining this here. The Holy Spirit is moving on Jude. Saying, Jude, I need you to write to the church, the believers. Tell them they need to contend. They need to put some energy. They need to make some effort into striving and struggling into holding on to the faith that I have once for all delivered to the saints. Now, this is only 30 years into the life of the church. And they've got to start fighting for the purity, the originality, the authentic faith that was given to the saints. But why would he say that? Why was there this concern? And, and what does he tell us about these concerns? Why is he concerned? Verse 4. Oops, sorry. He says, here's the reason why I'm concerned about it. Verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. So why is there this concern? Because there are people, ungodly people, who are getting in and they want to corrupt the purity, the simplicity, the authenticity of the faith that was delivered to the saints. That's why you and I should contend earnestly for that pure faith. Are you listening? Says, I'm, I'm concerned about this. And that's why 
I find it necessary to write to you about these things. To exhort you that you need to fight for this faith. You need to contend for this faith that was delivered to the saints. So tell us more about this Jew. What does he say? Verse 5. Why is there this seriousness to this? Why must believers contend for this faith? Verse 5 through 7. But I want to remind you. Though you knew, once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. What's he saying? He's saying, if I want to paraphrase these three verses, five, six, seven, is this. The reason I need to tell you to do this, to contend for the faith, is because keep in mind that it's not enough to start well. You've got to stay the course and you've got to finish well. So he says, look at the people who left Israel. They had a great deliverance. They came out, but not everybody entered in. Those who went to unbelief, they died. Look at the angels. The angels who didn't stay in their original state, when they sinned, they were sent up. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. The people went into morality and what happened? They reserved for eternal fire. In other words, he's, he's pointing to these three examples. He says, look, it's not enough to start well. You've got to stay the course. You've got to finish. And in order to do that, you need to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints because there are people who are coming in to corrupt the purity, the sincerity, the simplicity, the authenticity of that faith. So let's read on. What does he say? So now he begins to highlight the characteristics of people who come to do this, who, are, who come in amongst the church to do this. What happens? Look at verse 8 on. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment and all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts and their mouth great swelling words, 
flattering people to gain advantage. But you remember, but you beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles, apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. So in these verses, verses 8 to 19, it's a long passage. But he's saying, look, these are the characteristics of these savage wolves, of these ungodly people who are coming in to draw people away from the faith. But what must we do? Let's read on. How do we stand in the middle of all these things? Verse 20 to 25. But you, beloved. So he's saying, okay, here's what you need to do. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So let's just condense or summarize what he's saying. So what's the concern? What was the concern in this episode? Judas concerned that there are people who are coming in who will contaminate the faith. They'll cause that pure faith to be mixed with all kinds of things. Draw people away from themselves. They will use the church for their own advantage. Serve themselves. They will use the church for it. And so he says, as believers, contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We've got to contend for that faith. So that's the concern. And it's true for us today. That in our day, in our time, in our generation, we have to contend for that faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. It was given way back there on the day of Pentecost. And we've got to contend for that authentic, original, pure faith in Jesus Christ. Without a any kind of contamination. We want that. What does he tell us about these people who will come in or be, you know, who will try to use the church? I'll just run through what he says. And again, this is starting from, uh, you can follow along with me very carefully from verse 8. It says, these people, they live to indulge their flesh and godly desires. So they may have desire for influence, for power, for position, for money, and they want to use the church for that. They reject authority. They're not subject to anybody else. They're not answerable to anybody. They speak evil of dignitaries. That means those in civil and spiritual authority. They just speak evil. Don't care. He even points to how even Michael, the archangel, submitted himself to God. So even the archangel submitted. These people don't care. They don't speak. They speak evil of anything. They speak evil of whatever they do not know. If it's not according to their agenda, they call it evil. They corrupt themselves. They go by the way of Cain. What about Cain? Cain killed Abel. He killed an innocent righteous man. He didn't mind taking the righteous in order to, out of, 
jealousy and murder. He didn't care about the righteous. They go, they take, they take, they take the, they go into the error of Balaam for profit. What do they mean? He's, they use spiritual gifts for profit. The rebellion of Korah. What about Korah? He stepped in an office that was not his. So they call themselves anointed and this and that. And they step into an office that's not his. That's the rebellion of Korah. They, fe they feast with you without fear, but they're serving only themselves. They come in, they're moving with you nicely, enjoy your love feast, but they're only serving themselves, their own agendas. They're clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raising way of the sea, forming up their own shame, wandering stars. In other words, they are swaying people left and right. They're able to move, but they're empty clouds without water. That means they bring no benefit. They may have great effect, but no fruit. They're grumblers, complainers. That means they mouth great things. They flatter people to gain advantage. And Jude says, the Lord Jesus is coming to judge such people. Then he gives us instructions. He says, okay, here's what you do, church. Verse 3, you've got to contend earnestly for the faith. Verse 20, you have to build yourselves up spiritually, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep growing strong. You just have to keep growing strong. Just keep praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay in love. Stay in love. Don't give hate any place in your heart. Verse 22 and 23, look out for those around you. Look out for those around you. Because there will be some who will be swayed. They'll become doubtful. And you in love, restore them. They'll be swayed by these people. They'll be shaken in their faith. In compassion, you restore them. Verse 23, some others, you've got to grab them by their hand and pull them out because they're on the edge of the lake of eternal fire. That means there's an emergency here. You've got to do it with a sense of urgency because they've been so swayed from their faith, they're about to step into eternal fire. And you've got to grab them by the whatever, you know, and just pull them out, get them out. In other words, look out for people around you. Some in love and compassion, restore them. Some with a big sense of urgency pull them out because they've been swayed and shaken and they could end up in eternal fire. So, contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for that faith which was given to the saints. Four actions that I want to mention here this morning. Number one, we must keep our faith and the church free from dead religion. The faith that was given to us is a dynamic faith. It's a faith that's energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a faith that is bold. It's daring. It's, it's focused on Jesus. It's not a faith of dead religion. It's not a faith where of man-made rules and regulations. Do this and don't do this and do that. And so many times those man-made rules are an attempt to control us and move us away from that simple, pure, sincere, personal faith in Jesus. 
So we need to protect our faith. And we need to protect the church community from dead religion. We don't want dead religion. We want a real, personal, dynamic faith in Jesus that, that's real every day. So, don't let people control you. Manipulate you. Tell you what to do. Of course, we have order and discipline. When I say worship team come, I mean they come. I'm not, <laughs> I mean, we have order and discipline. And we say service starts at 10.30. We start at 10.29.59. On time. I mean, that's for the benefit of everybody. That's not control. That's discipline. But we don't let anyone control our lives. Nobody controls. Because we want that faith, which was pure, which is liberating, which is authentic. It's in the person of Jesus. It's not in some form, some regulation. It's not in dead religion. Secondly, we want to keep our faith and the church free from compromise from compromise. The church is the pillar and upholder of truth. And sad to say that the pressures on the church are very intense and probably increasing day after day. The pressure on the church, the pressure on us as pastors is so intense to compromise on biblical standards and biblical truth. And so much of the church has already compromised. Already compromised. We've compromised on godly standards. We've redefined marriage according to the ways of the world instead of according to the Bible. We've redefined success according to the ways of the world. Now you can't imagine some of the things that happen around and from pastors and churches. Success is measured by what clothes you wear and what shoes you put on and what sneakers you have. And these are pastors indulging in these things. They are successful. Is that what the Bible says? Is that the biblical measure of success? So we've compromised so much of the church. And so I want to call you and me to say contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Keep your faith and keep the church community pure from compromise. Don't compromise on biblical standards. Don't compromise on standards of godliness and holiness and purity. Don't compromise on measurements that are given to us by God. And don't take on the metrics of man. They mean nothing. I understand it. For all of us. We've got to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the stains. Keep our faith and the church free from compromise. We engage with the world, of course. We want God's people to go out into all the world. We are to be salt and light in the world. So go into any sphere of society that you feel you can make a difference. Make a difference, but don't compromise. Engage in business, engage in education, engage in art or sport or entertainment or whatever field you, you, know, you, you, you feel you can make a difference. Go engage. But hold on to the faith. Don't compromise your faith. And don't compromise godly standards. 
Number three, keep our faith and the church free from politics. And when I say politics, I mean both internal politics and external. Politics is simply you taking sides with an individual or a party and trying to promote it. As a people, as a community, no politics. We are brothers and sisters. We're a community of faith. We're not taking sides with one another and trying to outsmart each other. No, 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 no. We're journeying together. Amen? No, no one says, I'm of Paul, I'm of, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. None of that. We all belong to Jesus. We all are looking to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And also, politics as in which person to vote for and which political party to support. The pulpit is very sacred. And this was something I said in my mind long before we even started APC. The pulpit is so sacred. It's meant only to preach and teach the word of God. The pulpit is not for a pastor to stand and promote a political candidate or a political party. You'll see that it never happens at APC. The church community is sacred. It's not a place to promote politics. I remember this happened many years ago. We were meeting in a different auditorium and, you know, service started and one of the people, one of our young people came, our ushers came, he said, so-and-so has come. He's come with all his bodyguards. He's sitting on the first row. He wants five minutes to speak to the congregation. Now that so-and-so was a Christian, a good Christian, a well-established civil servant. That means he'd, he'd done very well in serving the government. He has a, had a big name. Now he was entering politics. And everybody was so excited. So he invited himself to church. <laughs> he's sitting on the front row. I recognize him now. He's seated there. Services started. He's seated in the first row with his bodyguards and everything. And he has sent word through one of our ushers, I need five minutes to speak to the congregation. But long before we started, I had decided in my mind, the pulpit is sacred. It's only to preach and teach the word of God, not to promote any political person, any person, any candidate. So I was under tremendous pressure because he's sitting there, right? I can see him. He's on the first row. He's already sent word, I want five minutes. Now on the outside, I might look plain and simple. But on the inside, I'm a tough guy. <laughs> I said, I will not give him one second. I will not. So I looked at him and I preached my message. <laughs> I did everything. I pronounced a benediction. I said, do what you want. You will not get one second on this pulpit. The pulpit is sacred. Now, was he a Christian? Yes. Was he a good Christian? Yes. He was a very open believer uh, in government. He's not running for political party, but that's your problem, not mine. And you will not use the pulpit. You want to enter politics? There's plenty of room outside the church. Do your campaigning outside the church. Don't campaign inside. The church community is sacred. And I don't need to tell people who to vote for. That's against civil liberty. You make the decision who you want to vote for. The pastor doesn't need to tell you. Are you understanding? 
I didn't even give him one second. I remember this happened in 20, another incident, 2018. I think 2018, 20, when we were having our last elections before the last one. In those days, we used to have these pastors' meetings every month, and pastors used to come together. And there was this lady who was attending those pastors' meetings, and close to the election, she came. She said, and she's a Christian believer. She said, Pastor, I am running in this constituency. And I want you to please give me time. I want to speak to the pastors. I want to tell them to tell all their people to vote for me. I'm a Christian. So what if you're a Christian? Do your work outside. Just because you are a Christian doesn't mean you can use a sacred platform to promote yourself. Your work must speak for itself. So I didn't give her one second. She got angry with me. She went, that's okay. It's your problem. Because church, Christian ministry, the pulpit, the platform God has given us is sacred. It's meant to build God's people in the word and in the spirit. It's not meant for politics. Are you listening? And so from the beginning, and we will continue to do this, we keep this as a sacred thing. And you can study scripture. You can look at how Jesus dealt with the government of his day. He didn't say, Herod is a Jew, so I'll support him. Neither did he say, Caesar is, you know, whoever I'll support him. No, he never did that. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He called Herod, you fox. That was it. He told it like it is. He never took sides. And you can study church history. And what we forget is there have been many attempts in the history of the church to merge church and state. And it's always failed. Always failed. The very first attempt was Emperor Constantine in around 8380. He was a Roman emperor. He, uh, the, 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 not the Roman emperor. Emperor of another um, empire. And he encountered Jesus. And he made Christianity the state religion. The worst decision to make. Because that plunged the church into spiritual darkness. 1,000 years of spiritual depravity. Because the king supported the church. The emperor, the empire supported the church. What was the outcome? Learn from history. 1,000 years. We call it the dark ages. What are the dark ages all about? Church and state merged. We should learn from history. And that's just one example. You can look at many other examples. The point is this. Keep our faith and the church community free from politics. Last point that I want to tell us is keep our faith and the church free from hate. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5, In the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. What will happen? Men will be lovers of themselves. One of the signs of the last days. They'd be lovers of money. They'd be blasphemers and disobedient to parents and unthankful, unholy. Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power from such turn away. Meaning one of the hallmarks of this end time 
society will be hate. It'll be a society that's focused on self, loving yourself, unloving, or you could say hateful, unforgiving. So that's the environment of the last days. And we shouldn't allow that to come into the church. The church should be the opposite. It should be people who are speaking the truth in love. It should be people who are walking in love. I look at so many parts of the church worldwide and I see so much of division, so much of hate inside the church. That's not the way it should be. The church should be a place of love. We have to come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect mature man. Worship him, please come. So in closing, what must we do? How does this message apply to you and me? This is not on the screen, but in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, he says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Are you and I, are we holding on to that pure, simple, authentic, uncorrupted, uncompromised, uncontaminated faith in Jesus? Examine yourself. Is that the nature of your faith? Or as you, has your faith become corrupted and contaminated all these other things? The ideas of man, the trickery of man, the flattery of man, the persuasion of man, and, and your faith has now corrupted all these things. What do we do? Get rid of the contaminants. Keep your faith pure. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The original book of Acts, New Testament faith, pure, not contaminated, dynamic, alive, personal faith. Keep your faith pure. So examine yourselves, test yourselves. Are you in the faith? So Jude closes his epistle with this confidence. He says, you know, I know the problem. I know ungodly men will come to draw people after themselves, but this is the confidence we have. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. That means God is able to keep us from falling. God is able to keep you, to keep me from falling. To stay true to that original faith. Amen. Let's rise to our feet, please.
morning, I just want to invite each of us to do what the Apostle Paul said. He said, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. What kind of faith do you have? Is it the same as a faith that was once delivered to the saints? Or is it a faith that has now become contaminated with all these other things that Jude warns us about, that Paul warned us about? Is it that simple, sincere faith in Jesus Christ? A faith that is committed to knowing Jesus, the knowledge of the Son of God. A faith that is committed to growing to be like Jesus. A faith that is looking unto Jesus. Not some man, not some woman, but is looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If there are people amongst us, if we need to realign ourselves, if we need to reposition ourselves, if we need to be restored, if we need to recover that purity and simplicity of faith in Jesus, this morning, may the Lord help us do it. May the Lord help us come back. May the Lord help us let go of all the contaminants, the compromise, the things that corrupt our faith. May the Lord help us contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And it's Jesus whom we follow. It's Jesus whom we pursue. God of man. 
Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that the faith of your people, the faith in our hearts as believers will be rekindled, will be restored, will be realigned, will be refocused on the person of Jesus Christ. And all over this place, those watching online Lord by your spirit bring us back to that simplicity that purity that authentic pure sincere faith that was once delivered to the saints a faith that looks at Jesus Christ the author and finisher of our faith that sincere faith restore it build it up in our hearts and lives strengthen us we pray in Jesus name Amen 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 just a quick announcement before we pronounce the benediction tomorrow is our combined New Year's Day service at 10.30 a.m. Now, usually what happens is this hall bursts at its seams, right? There's lots of people here. There will be lots of people here tomorrow. So just a few uh, pointers. Come early uh, if you want to get a good seat. 
come early. We start at 10.30, but that's one day in a year when it's good to come at 10 o'clock <laughs> to get your seat. So parking, there's going to be parking here in this building on the two levels of basement parking, parking outside. Once this is filled up, we will use the ground right on that side. Once that is filled up, there will be people outside indicating to you that parking all over here is full. So our next option is you can park on the streets. There's paid parking on the streets. So you can park there. They will indicate to you, please park here because it's full. If that is also full, then we have parking in St. Joseph's Boys High School. But you've got to go around to the main gate entrance on the other side. You'll park there and they will guide you how to walk across. So you'll have to park a little way off and you'll also have to do a little bit of walking to come here. Right? But I'm sure we'll have enough parking. Uh, once this place is full, outside is full, that is full, we will do the street parking, paid street parking, and once that is full, they'll guide you over to the parking in St. Joseph's Boys High School main entrance. Right? But to save yourself a lot of trouble, just come a little early. At 10 o'clock, get your seat, be seated, and uh, we'll have a wonderful time tomorrow. It's a combined service. We look forward to seeing you all there. God bless you. Let's receive the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.